the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. You probably already know this, but I want to say that James Blend is producing Clark Hilton Engineering. Dan Rice, he's given up his office. Glad to have you with us. Today on the program, we're going to share with you some great information to help you and your family survive this quarantine together. Uh, Susan Alexander Yates has been a guest on the program a couple of times in the last four or five weeks, and her book, Cousin Camp, is full of ideas for activities to do with your family. Now, it was written from the standpoint of a grandparent holding a camp to uh, bring cousins together, but there's also great resource for families who are looking for ways to uh, encourage their young kids and occupy them during this season. So we're going to share our interviews of the week with Susan Alexander Campbell beginning later this hour and uh, running through much of the next hour. So looking forward to that. First, taking a look at some of the headline news. The president is suggesting that he's seen evidence indicating the coronavirus did, in fact, originate in a Chinese lab. The president said Thursday he has this evidence um, and he continued criticizing the World Health Organization's ties to Beijing, pairing the U.N.-backed agency to a public relations firm. He was speaking to reporters about protecting America's senior citizens uh, when asked if he had reason to believe the outbreak originated in Wuhan Institute of Virology. Now, it was, it's believed that it was an accident, but the way it was handled after it uh, leaked out, if you will, is what the criticism centers on. Meanwhile, in other news, uh, Marco Rubio is warning China that they are going to face consequences diplomatically, economically, and beyond for the coronavirus. And um, former uh, Vice President Joe Biden uh, broke his silence this morning after his former Senate staffer Tara Reid ignited a political firestorm last month by alleging he sexually assaulted her. The presumptive 2020 uh, Democratic presidential nominee appeared on MSNBC's Morning Joe uh, to face questions about the accusations. He managed to avoid any questions from uh, roughly a dozen televised interviews since her claim back in March that her former boss molested her in 1993. Anchors including ABC News' uh, George Stephanopoulos, NBC News' Chuck Todd, CNN's Anderson Cooper, who interviewed the former vice president twice since the uh, Reid accusations came forward, failed to ask Biden about the claims. For weeks, only the Biden campaign has responded to the controversy to various media outlets vehemently denying her story. Governor Gretchen Whitmer on Thursday extended Michigan's state of emergency and disaster declaration through the 28th of this month, hours before um, it was set to expire and after hundreds of protesters, uh, some of whom were armed, gathered in the state capitol building to voice their displeasure with the Democrat governor. And the president's um, attorney, Jay Sekulow, is claiming that the FBI violated the Constitution in the Flynn case. Nearly 900 workers at Tyson Food Plant in Indiana have tested positive for coronavirus. And a fatal shooting of a postal worker tied to uh, a delayed stimulus check. Uh, the letter carriers groups uh, is uh, protesting this violence against the innocent uh, party. And a hiker who was celebrating the end of her coronavirus lockdown 
fell to her death while posing for a photo. Mm. The airlines are creating new safety rules and moves to ground the coronavirus and urge people back into the air. And shopping mall giants are reopening with safety restrictions as well. Forgiven coronavirus PPP loan recipients may be ineligible for tax deductions, something to make note of if, in fact, you are a recipient of that loan. And let's see. California governor has changed his tune. He's only going to close beaches in Orange County, considered more conservative than other nearby counties. Huntington Beach is suing the governor, and the sparsely populated county of Modoc, California, is rebelling, reopening schools, salons, churches, restaurants, and even their lone theater all on their own. Hmm. Uh, Democratic governors are now looking to open their states after the left was um, highly critical of GOP governors doing the same. In one state, things got tense as hundreds of angry demonstrators, some of them armed with rifles, stormed Michigan State House. And a new Gallup poll says that Trump's approval is tying his highest at 49 percent. Of course, this is an election year, a presidential election year. On this day in history, 2011, President Barack Obama announces the death of Osama bin Laden during a U.S. commando operation in Pakistan. 1707, the Kingdom of Great Britain is created as a treaty merging England and Scotland took effect. 1931, New York's 102-story Empire State Building is dedicated. And on this day in history, 1992, on the third day of the Los Angeles riots, a visibly shaken Rodney King appears in public to appeal for calm, pleading, can't we just get along? question remains unanswered even today. Well, Oregon Governor Kate Brown and public health officials unveiled new details today of the state's plan to beef up testing and contact tracing as businesses look to reopen with the coronavirus pandemic. Well, state officials are trying to balance the desire to restart the economy against the threat of more deaths, suggesting that risks can be managed by adding 600 people to perform public health investigations and ensuring 15,000 Oregonians can be tested for the virus each week. Dr. Dean Seidlinger, the state health officer and epidemiologist, said he's confident the plan will allow Oregon businesses to gradually reopen while preventing a dramatic surge in coronavirus infections. Some rural counties could begin reopening by mid-May, he said, but expanded contact tracing must begin first. We're not going to be able to prevent every case, he told the Oregonian ahead of uh, the planned meeting at the news conference earlier this morning. And I think we will see cases increase as people start to move about more. But we feel this is a plan where we can best manage that and try to keep the increase in cases to a minimum. The updated numbers for Oregon. Oregon continues um, to see fewer deaths than other parts of the uh, the country at this point. Oregon has uh, in total 103 deaths reported, Washington 814. In the United States, the death toll 63,746. Worldwide, 234,000. Reports of hate crimes and bias incidents have spiked 366% in Oregon this year, in part because of the coronavirus pandemic. And in uh, contact tracing, part of Oregon is reopening. Um, Your COVID uh, questions have been answered by the governor. You might want to check out her press conference earlier in the day that can be found online. And a draft plan provided more insight into the state's plans to eventually reopen restaurants and businesses in Oregon. Some of the possible guidelines include keeping six feet between tables, a limit of 10 people in a group, and a push for business owners to consider keeping a record of their customers' information. America is, of course, slowly but surely reopening for business, 
The first day of May today saw more than half a dozen states relax lockdown measures that were imposed as the coronavirus pandemic began. And as of this morning, the U.S. has seen more than a million coronavirus cases and more than 63,000 deaths. The president announced a plan on the 16th of April to reopen the country in three phases based on the severity of the outbreak in each state or region. In addition, Connecticut plans to start easing its coronavirus lockdown measures on the 20th of May, Governor Ned Lamont announced. Still, there are tensions in some states that are slowly reopening. And despite the measured optimism in the U.S., the coronavirus pandemic could last up to two years. A new report by the Centers for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota says that report notes the similarities between COVID-19 and influenza pandemics, including both having the asymptomatic cases and the global population having little or no pre-existing immunity, which results in worldwide susceptibility. Tyson's Foods uh, has announced plans to deploy mobile medical clinics to its facilities following a spate of coronavirus outbreaks that forced the temporary closure of several processing plants, including one in Indiana, where nearly 900 workers reportedly have tested positive. And two California cities voted Thursday night to take legal action against Governor Gavin Newsom's beach closure orders, arguing it should be up to local leaders and not the Democratic governor to decide when it's safe to return. The U.S. equity markets uh, were under pressure on Friday as big tech and big oil warned that the coronavirus pandemic is hurting business. And the Republican-controlled uh, Michigan House and Senate have adopted resolutions to legally challenge embattled Governor Gretchen Whitmer's authority after she extended Michigan state emergency and disaster declaration through the end of May. Most Costco locations across the country will resume regular operating hours next week, the Superstore has announced. And Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin on Friday urged private schools that tapped a relief fund designed to help small business weather uh, the coronavirus pandemic to return that money. And criminals are using the unprecedented coronavirus pandemic to exploit children online. U.S. Attorney General um, Beth Williams says in an op-ed on Fox News Digital. And this week, Disney debuted reusable face coverings, masks, with decorations inspired by characters from Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars universe. The mega company has also donated one million of the masks to the nonprofit organization MedShare, to be distributed to children and families in vulnerable communities across America. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a few moments. James Blend will join me, and we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on what is, at least in part, a fun Friday afternoon. James Blend is going to join me shortly, but before he does... I want to remind you, as you're searching for opportunities to learn something over the weekend, to be entertained and well-informed, you might want to consider No Safe Spaces. Now, Salem Media Group has jumped into the movie business in order to make this available for you. It's a documentary about free speech from comedian Adam Carolla and nationally syndicated radio host Dennis Prager. It was one of 2019's top-earning political documentaries and the number one political documentary by every other measure. Well, the film exposes the toll political correctness is taking on college campuses and spilling out into the broader culture. And despite the film's popularity, the filmmakers weren't able to strike a deal with traditional streamers due to political bias in Hollywood. No big surprise there. So they took it to uh, Salem Radio, and there you have it. Well, the message of the film is how free speech and tolerance is being blocked by intolerant forces who champion the idea of free speech until it, of course, 
uh, conflicts with their own views on the world. I'd like to encourage you to check it out. No Safe Spaces is now available to uh, watch for a limited time only at nosafespaces.com for $19.95. But wait, there's more. For KPDQ listeners, use the discount code SAVE25 and do just that. Save 25%. Again, that's nosafespaces.com. Save 25 why don't you walk it, uh, watch it tonight, watch it this weekend, and uh, let some other folks know we need to be aware of what's going on and what we can do about it. NoSafeSpaces.com. All right, enough of uh, serious news. I want to invite James Blinn to join me, and uh, we're going to walk our way through some of the lighter side of the news. How you doing, James Blinn, from your remote location somewhere out there? Boy, you know, the, the, the somewhere out there is, uh, yeah, it feels a little more somewhere out there than usual, uh, as you know, the yesterday, uh, the listeners may not know this, but the yesterday, uh, uh, due to the, the things that we need to do as a radio station to stay on the air, uh, for the first time since this all began, I, my presence was necessitated at the station. And so uh, I did my portion of the program from there, and uh, it's uh, you know, stepping back into the home improvised office, so to speak, is... Uh, a step back again. <laughs> so I'm, I'm missing the office more than I probably would have been had I not just gone to it. Yeah, it is nice to sit at your own desk where everything is set up the way you want it and can work best. But I'm really, really grateful that we're able to do this absolutely um, this way. So there you have it. All right. Uh, we promise we're going to look at some of the lighter side of the news, reminding people that, yeah, there is stuff going on in the world that's, well, lighthearted. Uh, one thing that came to uh, to mind was the GMA reporter, Will Reeve, who apparently, when getting dressed to do the news, failed to consider his entire wardrobe. And, uh, you know, we're hearing more and more cases like this. But this was on a national news program, Good Morning America. He had his suit jacket on. He had his tie. He had his white shirt. In fact, we know he had his white shirt because when the camera panned back, we learned that he wasn't wearing pants. Now, apparently he was wearing boxers, but not the kind that you normally wear when you go out in public. Now, this is a national news program, and the guy didn't bother to put his pants on. <laughs> he uh, later, in fact, the following day, did um, make comment and suggested it was a really a stupid thing to do, which, you know, went without saying. He insists that they were... Um, that he had shorts on that he was wearing in, prepa- in preparation for a post-show workout. But, uh, you know, what you saw was his bare legs underneath his suit jacket and formal button-down white shirt. So once again, I think it's important, James, for you and I to assure the listening audience that we are appropriately attired for today's program out of respect for our listeners and for one another. I, I you know, I am appropriately dressed to the... Uh... Uh, I believe the uh, the term our sister station uses is uh, safe for the whole family. Um, <laughs> I would I would address my attire as such, although I'm I'm really happy. I, I actually picked up a, a a new pair of pajama pants the other day, and I'm particularly satisfied with the purchase. So I'm enjoying that today, <laughs> as they have little faces of Bob Ross all over them with the words "Happy Little Trees." Okay, well I'm glad so, you shared yeah. that. I, I feel a whole I'm, lot better. Now, that, that'll that add to the mental picture. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to avoid a mental picture of any kind. I, I will but, say, uh, though, you know, we talked about a minute ago about going into the studio yesterday. I I had to get dressed. <laughs> I It was one of those things where I'm walking around the house and I, I said, about, do I have any pants that are clean? I, where are they? I haven't well, needed them in weeks. <laughs> uh, well, I have to say that I, ha- I am dressed. 
Um, I get up in the morning. In fact, there was an article on this very thing, why you should still get dressed while working from home. And Alexander Diebler says this, though pajamas seem to be the work from home uniform of choice during self-isolation, there's good reason to think about swapping your sweatpants for khakis. And he quotes a psychologist, Dr. Catherine Smirling, about the importance of getting dressed every day, even while working from home, and how it benefits your mental health and productivity. Uh, she says any kind of structure is important in this time of unprecedented disorganization. It's a ritual. Ritual helps us focus. This can be a ritual that you get dressed, you have your coffee, you make your bed. Uh, this signals you have changed from sleepiness to actual work efficiency. The simple task of putting on pants, can I repeat that? The simple task of putting on pants, she says, helps set up a new environment. So there you have it, James. You might want to reconsider the David Ross or whatever pajamas it is that you're well, the, currently wearing. Well, the, the other side of it is what, you know, of course, the, the, the thing is, is, you know, I, I do have a day and night set of pajamas. I kind of compromised on it. It's like I, I want to I want to get dressed every morning, but I want the comfort. So, you know, I, you know, I make sure that uh, ah. I, you know, I, I'm wearing two sets of pajamas a day. Who wants so to sit around in the same sleep. PJs 24-7? Yeah. You've got sleep pajamas and you've got work pajamas. Exactly. Well, that makes all the difference. That makes all the difference in the world. It you know, really people does. are coming up with the, all kinds of things to entertain their neighbors and, I suppose, entertain themselves and uh, hazard a chance that they might see a neighbor walk by because we are somewhat lonely. In fact, I went to Portland Nursery yesterday and we were all standing in line waiting to be admitted into the Golden Garden where I was looking for some shrubs for the backyard and I was looking around at the faces of the people that I was waiting in line with, and it kind of struck me, I can't see anyone's face. You know, and I wondered how every one of the people in line was faring. You know, some of them were probably worried. Some of them um, may have lost loved ones. And I just started getting a tear in my eye thinking, this is kind of how it's going to be for a while. You can't really smile with a face mask on. You can't really uh, judge the expression on someone's face. And it was just kind of a sad thing to consider this is what it's going to be like probably for months to come, even after this whole thing, uh, this whole thing is. The other thing I learned was don't put lipstick on if you're going to wear a face mask. I'm still learning that one. Anyway. The, for me, the, I had the, this problem yesterday. You know, going into the office yesterday, I, I used a, I used a, wore a mask. And I couldn't figure out why the facial recognition on my iPhone wouldn't let me in. Ah, yeah, that might need to be adjusted as well. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. A colorful cast of characters appears day after day on a porch in the U.S. state of Virginia, urging people to stay upbeat and stay home during the coronavirus shutdown. It started as a way for Erin Kimball to entertain her young cousins, who she misses seeing, and to keep herself busy after the catering company where she works closed. But the project, which she has maintained for a month now, has morphed into a way to make people laugh during a dark time, with messages coming from as far as Arizona and Tokyo. It started with a pig costume and signs saying, this little piggy stayed home, an echo of the popular nursery rhyme we probably remember. When that image got 30,000 social media likes, she thought she might be on to something besides just flaunting her newfound fame to her three college and high school age children. She now has a prop shop where she brainstorms, scavenges and repurposes everything from borrowed shirts to a plastic children's pool. Uh, to one of the family dogs to assemble uh, scenes on her stage, the front porch of her house in a suburb outside of Washington, D.C. She says, I could probably do this for the rest of my life. Hopefully she won't have to. The characters from pop culture and well-known movies all include messages that play on famous lines urging people to heed orders not to go out, to wash their hands, and to stay 
upbeat. So good for her. She's finding uh, something to do. Another guy um, decided he was going to tattoo himself every day during the coronavirus lockdown to give himself a bit of direction. Huh. Well, the self-illustrated man is facing a unique problem. He's running out of room on the canvas of his body. I just say smaller images, I guess. Well, this resident from London and tattoo artist has regularly been getting inked since he was 18, but the dad-to-be took his skin-deep love to the next level when he was forced into lockdown due to the coronavirus. We're now talking sleeves here. We're talking head-to-toe designs. Now, there are some places on the body I imagine it would be a little more challenging for him than others, but he's giving himself a tattoo every day. So, James, what do you think? Pass. Yeah, me too. Maybe a Sharpie. I'll put a smiley face on some unseen place, but that's about the uh, the extent of it. We need to take a break, so hang with us. We'll be back in just a few moments with a little bit more of the lighter side of the news. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I want to let you know, coming up, we're going to hear from Susan Alexander Yates. She's got some great ideas for you and your family during this quarantine season where you might be running thin on creativity. So she'll join us uh, for a couple of interviews we had over the last uh, several weeks. So Susan Alexander Yates, author of Cousin Camp, we're going to talk about more than how to, a grandparent can bring cousins together, but how moms and dads can uh, minister to and entertain their young people during this season. Hey, James, we're talking about uh, the lighter side of the news. I noted, and you probably already know this because you're a Disney guy, but I noted that Disney is now selling cloth masks that are de- decorated with popular characters and donating about a million dollars of the profits to aid organizations. Um, they have Baby Yoda face masks, uh, masks mm-hmm. rather, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, and so on. Now, I know um, your sweet little girl, you ordered a mask for her. Was it a Disney mask? Uh, it was a, it, it, the, her mask is, uh, has Disney princesses on it, but it was just, uh, it's a homemade created one that was using the, you know, the Disney pattern cloth and stuff that you can yeah, buy yeah. at fabric stores. Yeah, apparently um, they're, the masks are, they're donating one million of the masks to the nonprofit MediShare uh, to distribute to children and families in vulnerable communities across the country. But you can also buy these masks with all kinds of images at shopdisney.com. They're nineteen ninety nine for a four-pack. And, you know, while a lot of us are making face masks, uh, I, I think we're probably going to be wearing them for some time to come. So you're going to need more than one and a variety of them. And if kids are going back to school and required to wear masks or for that matter, through the summer, um, this is one resource you might consider. Yeah, anyway. I, I've looked at them. There's some of them are really, really cute. Yeah, uh, they, they are. They're, you know, character make you look like you kind of have the character's face like Mickey Mouse and Winnie the Pooh and stuff like that. And Now, you know, I'm creeped out by Baby Yoda. So I'm just hoping you, you are literally the only show. person on the planet. I'll take that. So please don't order one for yourself. I'm begging you. No, no. Um, I, I had, uh, knowing my daughter's propensity to uh, lose things, uh, I do plan to order some of those Disney masks, but uh, not not those. <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. She adores Baby Yoda. Yeah, well, I love her. She's not watching we'll the show that, that he's on, but uh, she's she seen enough of him her. to think he's the cutest thing in the world. So, uh, But those are not the ones she's getting. She's getting the princess ones. Yeah, I love your daughter. We'll just have to agree to disagree on that point. There you go. 
you know, people once again are trying to come up with all kinds of ways to entertain themselves and their neighbors and just to interject a little bit of joy and happiness. Smiling faces, visits from friends and family, lighthearted entertainment, all are essential in keeping people, especially children, comforted and calm with this COVID-19 social distancing. Well, in New Orleans, Louisiana, there's an emergency circus. Uh, the founder, Clay Mazing, has taken to the streets to deliver circus, or rather circograms, around the Big Easy, atop the shambulance, <laughs> shazambulance. Uh, he dazzles audiences from afar with knife juggling, uh, bullwhip stunts, and the uh, messages that we all have superpowers like his well-trained circus skills. They're just waiting to be unlocked through dedication and confidence. So you can have the shazambulance um, bring the uh, circogram directly to you in Louisiana. Well, there you go. Well, he stands on top of the van and does all kinds of circus trips, tricks. Uh, then uh, there's this. In Sweden, a one-person restaurant is opening in the middle of a field in Sweden, delivering food from a rope out of the kitchen window. So you sit out, uh, decorate a table out in the field, and the food is brought out to you um, with a rope that brings a basket with the food in it from the kitchen window out to the middle of the field where you can enjoy a... Uh, a meal, a cafe-style, restaurant-style meal out in a, a field. Okay. Taking the concept of social distancing to a whole new level. It's only going to serve one customer per day, seated in the middle of that field via a basket attached to a rope. I could eat by myself at home. I'm not sure I'd want to go out in the middle of a field, but at least you don't have to cook it in Sweden when it's brought out to you in a basket. And people are getting a little desperate. Not even Spider-Man could save this meal. Twitter user uh, has opened a 25-year-old can of Spider-Man noodles. He said he was shocked by what he found inside. We're not quite there yet. We're not so desperate that we're opening 25-year-old cans of Spider-Man noodles. But while many people have been stocking up on canned goods during the coronavirus, it's important to remember that the foods don't last forever. While many cans have had a long shelf life, 25 years is likely a bit too long to let something sit. Well, apparently a Twitter user going by the name of Dinosaur Dracula, I have no idea, shared his experience online as he opened a can of Spider-Man soup from 1995. Mm. Before opening the can, he described it as wildly corroded. Uh, the process of opening the can was documented each step of the way with Dinosaur Dracula, the guy, showing off photos of the can being opened. Along with the photos, he wrote, I put the can opener to work unsettled by the rust, but emboldened by the lack of noxious fumes. I turned the knob and wince, unable to rule out the possibility that the contents have mutated into something alive and malevolent. <laughs> well, the post has received about 81,000 likes. It's been retweeted 16,000 times. After pulling the top off, the contents of the can were revealed and the results were, you guessed it, pretty gross. Uh, they say tragedy plus time equals comedy, but there's nothing funny about 15 ounces of Spider-Man pasta reduced to a rotted three-ounce chunk. Referencing oh. a Stephen King, George Romero horror anthology movie recalling the fate of Jordy Viril in Creepshow, I'm thankful for my rubber gloves. Well, amazingly, at least one of the Spider-Man-shaped noodles survived in a sense. I think I noticed something, but consult the label on the can to be sure. Indeed, there's poor Spider-Man trapped in this uh, toxic monstrosity. I'm sorry, Peter, but old pasta comes great instability. So, wow. Fortunately, he wasn't required to eat it. He had other 
um, other things to do. Well, I know one of our coworkers, James, was married last Sunday in a yes. Zoom wedding. And while, you know, the end result of a wedding is the two people are married, that's the goal. At the end, they were married, but it was rather peculiar to have 100 people. And apparently that's the limit. You can only have 100 people sit in on these um, these uh, Zoom events. Um, at the end, they were married. Well, another couple in Michigan, they decided they wanted to get married at the venue of their choice. And so they decided a cardboard cutout wedding series of guests would make up for the not-so-cookie-cutter wedding the Michigan couple prepared uh, for to tie the knot during this pandemic. Well, after Amy Simpson and her fiancé's wedding plans were disrupted amid the outbreak, a packaging company donated more than 100 generic cutouts to pose as stand-ins for the family and friends who couldn't attend this Saturday or this last Saturday because of the Michigan stay-at-home order. Well, the uh, Manasha Packaging Company of Coloma, they made cutouts to resemble guests tall and short, young and old, with long hair, short hair, ponytails. Uh, says the uh, the bride-to-be, she was just looking for a general person shape, but I was able to uh, make a little bit uh, more realistic audience uh, for the couple. Um, the township police officer said that he'll forever be thankful to Manasha for helping him do something special for his fiance, now his wife, since the wedding was last week. I wanted to do something so she uh, wouldn't walk down the aisle in an empty church. So she walked down the aisle with the co- cardboard cutouts of her guests and the two at the end were married. So what's the big deal, huh? Well, a seven-year-old Greek piano prodigy has pinned an isolation waltz. You might be able to find it online. The uh, hypnotic fugue-like melody has picked up more than 43,000 hits on YouTube since its launch. Um, his name is Stelios. Um, he is, uh, what, seven years old and decided that he's born in Athens in 2012. Uh, he decided that um, he wanted to do something to mark the occasion. In 2018, he played Chopin's waltz in an A minor at New York's Carnegie Hall. And last year, he appeared at London's Royal Albert Hall performing on Elton John's famous red piano. So he says his favorite pianist is the late Canadian Glenn Gould, best known for his technically demanding renditions of Bach variations, and decided he wanted to mark this occasion by creating a piece of his own isolation Waltz. And then there's a six-year-old who started a drive-by, walk-by joke stand in his driveway to bring a smile to his neighbor's faces. What do you get when you cross an inventive six-year-old with mandatory quarantine? Give up? Well, you get a drive-by, walk-up joke stand hosted by a Canadian child comedian, Callaghan McLaughlin. Now, the young boy began his uh, comedy career in his driveway as a way to bring joy to his neighbors, and he's done just that. Uh, He's been actively telling us one-liners and knock-knock jokes for about uh, six months or so, his mom says. We felt it was time for a fresh audience. Well, Callaghan's uh, the oldest of three, worked with his parents to set up the stand so he could tell his jokes free of charge to passersby. Now, there are people walking more these days. And I thought maybe, James, you might want to follow this six-year-old lead. I know you are an aspiring comedian. You might want to set something up in your uh, your driveway and folks can come by for a a little laugh. Yeah, you know, that's... uh... Probably not my personality set, but hey, you know, stranger things have happened. <laughs> yeah, they have. Hey, just want to remind you that the latest edition, the May edition of Christian News Northwest, can be found online again this season. Of course, they want to return to the good old um, 
newsprint uh, and paper as soon as possible. But for now, you can find Christian News Northwest online, the May issue, at cnnw.com, Christian News Northwest, currently available. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, share our conversation with Susan Alexander Yates, Cousin Camp, and lots of family fun that you might find useful during this quarantine. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to be talking about a book called Cousin Camp. Now, does that sound like the funnest thing ever? It's a grandparent's guide to creating fun, faith, and memories that last. Now, my next guest asked the question, are your children and grandchildren scattered across the country? Are they right down the street? No matter where they are, if you long for more time, more fun, more memories with the ones you love, Cousin Camp is the answer. Now, I have a friend who has, she calls it Grandy Camp. She's done this for years, and oh, what a connection she has with her grandchildren. Well, this inspiring book from popular speaker, parenting expert, and grandmother, Susan Alexander Yates, is a practical guide for creating special events that will help you develop meaningful, lasting connections with your extended family. It is full of specific, doable ideas and hilarious stories. The book contains everything you need to know from initial planning, who, when, and where, to daily schedules, to specific ways to build friendships among family members. You'll also find plenty of suggestions for a variety of gatherings, as well as activities specifically designed for mothers of young children. Well, close-knit family bonds don't just happen by accident. You need to start creating yours today. Well, I'm just delighted to have Susan Alexander Yates with us today. She is a popular speaker, the author of several books, including And Then I Had Kids and And Then I Had Teenagers. She's a regular guest on Family Life Today and other national radio programs. She lives with her husband, John, in Falls Church, Virginia, and joins us to talk about Cousin Camp, a grandparent's guide to creating fun, faith, and memories that last. Susan Alexander Yates, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Georgine, for having me. I've been looking forward to this. I have as well. Now, let's start at the beginning. Um, Tell us how Cousin Camp came about and why this is so important for us to consider if we really have a heart to have deep, lasting friendships with our children and grandchildren. (laughs) Well, that's a great question. Um, My husband and I have five children. We actually had five kids in seven years. So it was a little crazy for us. Our children were born, and as we've raised them, they're they're all grown now and all married. But our main family vision has been that the kids, our kids, and now our grandkids would love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, and soul, and then their neighbor as themselves. And when we think about neighbors, I think our closest neighbors are the people we live with, and then our extended family. So our family vision has been that our kids would love the Lord, and then that they'd love each other and care for each other. So it was really out of this desire that we created Cousin Camp. We we actually have 21 grandchildren, oh which my. is kind of crazy. <laughs> but we started camp with five children from three different families because we wanted our kids, because they live in different states, we wanted them to know one another. So the first year, we just had five. For our camp, you have to be four years old to come because um, we didn't want to deal with uh, wet beds or um, kids up all night long, and we wanted them reasonably obedient because it would make it much more fun for the bigger kids. Yeah, yeah. Now, in the book, I tell a lot of stories of people who do do this differently, and so I think 
it's really important to figure out what's best for your family. We, we have friends who started with just the girl cousins one summer, and they did it for just 24 hours, and theirs were younger. So it just depends on your own unique situation. And I talk a lot in the book about how you discern what's right for your situation. But we began with five. They were all, I think we had two four-year-olds, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old or something like that. And they come in for three nights and four days. And then the, the rest of the families come in for an extended family camp. But that's how we began. We've been doing it for 11 years, and now uh, we have 21 that attend. So <laughs> it's, it's really fun. Oh, my. That just sounds daunting, and I'm sure some of our listeners are quaking at the thought of, uh, of hosting young kids for that period of time. Talk about, as you write about in the book, the ingredients that you need before you start planning a family gathering. Well, it's important to have your own vision for what you want. And I know right now, as we're in sort of this crisis with the virus, it's all you can do to think about, oh, my goodness, how can I just get through today? But actually, Georgine, the book has a lot of ideas that Mm -hmm. moms who are at home with kids right now can use. Um, One of the things that we have done is each year a child comes to camp. Their first year they get a journal, and I just buy blank journals at some inexpensive store, and I put a photograph, I glue a photograph to the front of each journal. The journals are are used throughout camp. We have Bible study in the morning, and actually in the book, I give three simple Bible studies, which parents at home today could use. Um, and the kids write in their journals. Another thing that we've done is we have buddies. The younger kids always have an older buddy who sits with them at Bible study, who helps them write write you know, the theme verse, color pictures, who helps them do other just tasks like um, how to fill their own water bottle, uh, serving their plates at meal times, checking on them throughout the day. And what's been so surprising to me is our buddy system has become one of the most favorite things about camp. And this was a total surprise. Often in the spring, I'll get a call from one of my grandchildren on the telephone and they'll say, who's going to be my buddy at camp this summer? (laughs) <laughs> they love the buddy system. And, you know, we didn't know that's what would happen. We started the, the buddy system for our own survival. So <laughs> that's, you know, one of the things. So I think in planning, you think through who you want to attend, how, where you'll have it, how you'll get them there. And my encouragement is you can do this no matter whether you live in an apartment, a house. We happen to have a little tiny farm that we use. You can do it anywhere and you can do it with any number of children. And the most important thing is to start small. Don't be daunted or overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. You might for your first camp have it one night or two nights. So it's going to be different for everyone. But in the book I talk about, I have, for example, 13 stories from people who've done it differently. And also just a whole section on family reunions. They might be intergenerational. They might be just cousin reunions. It could be nuclear family. It could be any, there's a lot of diversity. So there's not just one way to do it. Yeah. Again, we're talking about the book titled Cousin Camp, A Grandparent's Guide to Creating Fun, Faith, and Memories That Last. One of the things that you suggest in the first part of the book is balancing realistic expectations uh, with surprises. I suppose that's true for the grandparents who are, 
hosting the camp and uh, it's true for those who are planning to come to the camp. Why is it important to balance expectations and how do you do that? Well, sometimes you learn from your mistakes. Um, I remember the first time we had camp, I cleaned my house thoroughly. I put flowers in every room, even in the bathrooms. I was so excited to have a clean house, you know, to show off to my adult children who were dropping their young kids for camp. I called my friend Elaine. I said, come down and see my house. It's perfect. And she came down and oohed and odd like a good girlfriend does. And then she went home and then the kids started coming. And in came the mud, the upteen <laughs> tennis shoes, the backpack, all the stuff. And within 30 minutes, my house was trashed. Nobody noticed anything, not the parents, not the kids. I called my friend Elaine back up. I said, walk over here really quickly. I want you to see what just happened. And so she came over and just looked at the house, and we just laughed. And, you know, <laughs> at that point, Georgie, I had to decide, do I want to have a clean house or do I want to have happy kids? Yes. And not walk through camp nagging them. And I had to, decide, had to decide to let my expectation of a clean house go because the real thing that was the most important was that they have fun together. So ever since then, I have never cleaned my house right before camp. <laughs> but I'm sure you had a thorough cleaning right after camp. Oh, yeah. After camp, it takes forever to get it put back together. It's totally trashed. <laughs> We're going to take a break here so in just, just a moment. Little things. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to take a quick break, uh, but we will return. We're talking with Susan Alexander Yates. This is a great book, and I appreciate that you point out that this, uh, this book contains ideas that can be used now under our new normal uh, for parents and grandparents who are with their children. Cousin Camp, A Grandparent's Guide to Creating Fun, Faith, and Memories That Last. The book is published by Ravel. You could get online and order it right now, and you'll find it a great resource uh, for now or perhaps for a uh, the day when we all hope that's coming sooner than later when we can come together face to face again. News and traffic up next. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show and we're talking about a delightful book, Cousin Camp, a grandparent's guide to creating fun, faith, and memories that last. If you've always thought this sort of idea is way over your head, this is a resource that is very practical and doesn't just give you one way to pull it off, but many ways that uh, are being used by folks all across the country. Now, let me ask you about um, uh, the where to get started. I think as, as parents and grandparents might be listening, they're wondering, now, where would you start to prepare to host this kind of an event? That's a great question, Georgine. And I'll just say two things in answer to that. One, the book is full, as you mentioned, of things that parents can do right now while we're mm -hmm. sort of all sheltering in place. So there's help for you right now, and I know some grandparents are unexpectedly needing to do child care. There's help for you right now in the book. But then there's hope for the future, because one of the things that we need in the situation we're in right now is hope for the future. Yes. One day when we will be able to see extended family. So you can do two things. You can flip through the book and find things you can do right now in your situation, but you can also flip through the book and get ideas for your family get-together, asking the questions, we want to have a family reunion. Who would that involve? Where is the best place to have it? How is the best place to do it? Who should we invite? And one of the great things is that I think during this pandemic, we've realized how important family is 
perhaps we've been so busy mm-hmm. with neglected family. And so it's giving us a yearning to reconnect. And I encourage people to just believe that God can redeem anything. Some of our listeners are coming from very broken places, and perhaps they don't get along with a sibling or an adult child. But no matter what you come from, you can be the first of a generation of healthy families. Our God is a God who redeems. And so the first thing to adopt is an attitude of grace. We're going to just reach out with grace to any family member that might remotely be interested in getting together at a certain time. And I talk about how to do that and what you do if you don't exactly get along with this family member. How do you broach the subject and what's the best way to do it? One of the things I found is even if perhaps you have two adult children who don't get along, they probably in a little space in their heart want their children to know each other. And so one of the blessings of being grandparents is we can say, hey, we want to just have our grandchildren for a certain time. And so you begin to build relationships between the next generation and often given time, and we have to be patient, but given time, that will spill over into healing into a generation that is not quite getting along. Mm. One of the blessings for us as grandparents in getting together with our grandchildren is that we can get away with things that their parents can't, you know, you don't, you, your teenager, your 12 or 13 year old is not as likely to roll an eye and say, oh, do we have to, to a grandmother or a grandfather as they might to a parent. So we have space to do creative things and have kids that tend, can tend to be more cooperative. So that's one of the real blessings in this season. Now tell us about how you have held Bible study time during camp with different ages and different attention spans, or even if yeah. you've had some children say, eh, I'm really not interested or, or uh, trying to back out. Yeah, well, that's a great question. One, it's just a part of our daily schedule. We post, you know, all the kids want to see what are we doing next. So we always post the schedule on the cabinet, and we have done Bible study since the beginning. So that's an expected schedule thing. And yes, there will always be children who are more interested than others. But one of the things that comes into play is peer pressure. And often a cousin who's eight or nine will be more interested than a six or seven-year-old. But that six or seven-year-old can interest can be piqued because he sees his bigger cousin a little more interested. Mm-hmm. So it's a place that positive peer pressure comes to play. But what you do with a reticent child is treat it lightly with humor. You can say, oh, you know what? I know you might not like this, but it's really going to be fun, and we're only going to do it for 20 minutes. I know you can do this. So you don't get offended. You use humor, and you just persist. Um, It's expected. It's, It's just like eating is expected. Bedtimes are expected. So you also, it's really important that you make your Bible study time short, brief, and fun. You have a verse, you ask questions, it's not a lecture time. We have the kids share how they have come to know the Lord, um, and some haven't yet, and they their ears perk up, and we've had some who have accepted Christ at Cousin Camp, mm. and we one of the first things we do is we have them write down their experience about how they ask our staff Jesus into their home. I actually, in the book, have a whole plan of a very natural way to share Christ. It's all written out right in the book. 
It makes it easy. It makes it natural. That's another thing I love about these kids is they're just upfront and natural. And so it's very matter of fact. And as our camp, once we got into the third and fourth year of camp, at our very first Bible study, we would say, okay, who wants to look back in your journal? Our journals live at our house. They don't go home. That's an important tip because the kids will lose them at home. So they live at our house. And now on our shelf, we have 21 journals. And each year the kids come back and they look at their journals from five years earlier and just laugh at how ridiculous <laughs> their handwriting was and their picture was. But every year at our first Bible study, we have testimony time. And the kids will say, who wants to share their testimony of how they first came to know Jesus? And they all raise their hands. They all want to be first. Um, so here again is positive peer pressure at work. Now, we know they don't totally understand what they've just done, and they're going to have times of doubt and questioning, but we do know that it's a seed that's planted, and God is going to fertilize that seed. So I think cousin peer pressure is a wonderful gift that we have when we mix families. Mm -hmm. It's hearing it from somebody other than a sibling. We're talking about Cousin Camp, A Grandparent's Guide to Creating Fun, Faith, and Memories That Last. The book is published by Ravel, and you can get it now. Just pick up your phone or go online and order it because it's uh, definitely going to be a help during this season and beyond. One of the things that you do before um, the camp is you send out questionnaires to each child's parents before family camp. What kind of questions do you ask, and how does that help you in preparing for the specific children that are going to be a part of, of Cousin Camp? Well, one of the reasons we do this is because we live in Virginia, and we have our oldest daughter and her five children live in our same town, so we see them a lot. But our four other families don't live near us. Uh, we have two in Tennessee. We have one in North Carolina, and then we have another one in Virginia about three hours away. So you don't tend to know the grandchildren that live far away from you because you aren't seeing them on a daily basis. And so one of the things we want to do is we want our our grandkids to come in with us having a sense of knowing them. So we ask the parents questions like this. You know, what do you see the emotional needs are of your five-year-old or your six-year-old? What are their social needs? We think through a grid of of growth in five areas, social, mental, physical, spiritual, and social, mental, physical, spiritual, and social. And they can overlap. For example, does your four-year-old coming to camp for the first time, is, is he a little bit afraid? Is an emotional need that he's not real sure he wants to leave home and he's not real sure he's going to like this? Well, that helps us know how to make sleeping arrangements. Yeah. Generally speaking, we have the siblings sleep together. That gives that new newbie kid, that's what we call our first-year campus, um, the emotional security of familiarity with his siblings. Now, the teenagers don't want to do that. You know, once our kids hit the teen years, the teens like to, you know, buck all on the floor up in, you know, a family room. I mean, we pack kids on the floor. We pack them in closets. You know, we sort of have them all over the house. But um, that would be an example. Are there any concerns about your kid? What are your child's favorite things to do? Like, is your child into music? Is, he, is she creative? Does she like to write? Uh, does she like to cook? I've been amazed as we've asked these questions, and I found out things about my grandchildren that I didn't know. Um, and so it's a real, it's sort of like our cheat sheet, quite honestly. Yeah. It's my husband and my cheat sheet. But that also helps us know how to pray for our grandchildren. 
Um, is one shy? Is one bossy? Is one have leadership gifts? Does one need to learn how to reach out to another one? Uh, and those are all the kind of questions that we would tend to ask. There's so much more in Cousin Camp uh, that we don't have time to talk about, but I would highly recommend it to any adult listening, whether you're talking about your own grandchildren or uh, people in your family you'd like to bring together. This is a great resource. It's practical. It's detailed. And I think any one of us could pull this off with this book in our hands. Again, Cousin Camp, A Grandparent's Guide to Creating Fun, Faith, and Memories That Last. Susan Alexander Yates, thank you so much for sharing your experience and these practical uh, tips with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, let's see. Let's look at the calendar. It's now been weeks since kids were told, nah, no school for you. You're going to have to stay home. It's been several weeks since parents have had to try to occupy their kids during that time. Well, the question is, are there creative ways to capture their attention, their imagination, and maybe even convey uh, some meaningful things to your kids and to strengthen your family connections? Well, Susan Alexander Yates, she is the author of Cousin Camp, A Grandparent's Guide to Creating Fun, Faith, and Memories That Last. And one of the things that I noticed in the course of our conversation is that this inspirational book, um, has more than just what grandparents can do to bring cousins together. There's lots of specific, doable ideas and hilarious stories um, that will help families who are now, well, quarantining together have a more meaningful time. So if you're looking for some great suggestions and maybe a glimpse into what other families have done, this is a great resource for you as well. So she is a popular speaker and the author of several books, including And Then I Had Kids and Then I Had Teenagers. She's a regular guest on Family Life Today and other national radio programs. She lives with her husband, John, in Virginia, and they hold, um, well, cousin camps with some regularity. This year, I'm guessing, will be a little different, but I'm just delighted to have her back to give us some ideas of how we can make the most of this time that I believe God has given us to knit our hearts to one another. Susan Alexander Yates, welcome back. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed our last time together so much, so I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to have you back. Well, when we talked before, it had been a few short weeks. It's now lengthening into additional weeks. And I think sometimes families are a bit exhausted uh, in terms of creative ideas. Uh, maybe they're just exhausted, period, because it's challenging to be together as much as we are now required to be, although it is a blessing. And I so appreciate your resource because it challenges us to see this season as an opportunity um, and you give us some creative ways to make the most of it. For listeners who didn't hear our conversation on Cousin Camp, give us just a, a brief recap, and then we'll talk about some things families can do now. Oh, okay, great. Well, my husband, John, and I have five children. We actually had five kids in seven years, so that was a little crazy. Um, <laughs> number uh, five turned out to be twins, four and five, which was a surprise. So I can particularly empathize with mothers right now with little people who are shut mm -hmm. up at home. It's a hard season. Our kids are all now adults. They're all married, and we have 21 grandchildren. And our kids are spread out um, across different states. One of our, our oldest, Allison, and her husband and five children live in our same town, so we do see them. But the other four kids and their families live in different places. And years ago, Georgine, when we wanted to, um, we were really praying about our family and praying about what was important in terms of our family vision. 
And we just adapted uh, the passage from Matthew that is really the great commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. And as we thought about what that looked like, practically speaking, we realized that one of our goals would be not only that we now as grandparents, but also when we were younger as parents, could impact our child's faith, praying them into a relationship with the Lord, but then secondly, building them into each other. So um, that's a long process, and (laughs) every family has sibling rivalry, and especially right now when you're cooped up. But then now at the next phase, how can we help our grandchildren know one another? So we, for 11 years, have run a camp in the summer that's just for the grandchildren. Parents are not allowed to come. And for our camp, you have to be four years old to come. We didn't want to deal with uh, kids up all night and kids that weren't potty trained. And by four, you're you're hopefully sleeping through the night and potty (laughs) trained and have learned somewhat how to be obedient. So I do tell a lot of stories in the book of others who have started their camps or their family reunions with children younger. So there's not one way to do this. It depends on your situation. But for us, it seemed right to have it start at at age four. So for 11 years, we've had cousin camp. We started with five children from three different families, and our camp runs for three days and for three nights and four days, and it's a blast. And so the book is really sort of a recipe for how you, as a grandparent, can um, plan a time with your grandchildren. But it's not just that. I tell yeah. a third of the book is about all different types of family reunions, from adult reunions with just some adults without children to a young aunt who um, was a single woman in her 40s who lives in the U.K., and she has hosted a neighborhood and niece and nephew camp every summer for several days because she wanted to be intentional about making a difference in the lives of her nieces and nephews. So there's a variety of things to do, and one of the my favorite things about the book is so often I'm sure we all read books with lots of ideas and visions, and we get to the end of the book and we are just like drinking from a fire hose. We, we're <laughs> discouraged, we're overwhelmed, but we don't know where to begin. So I didn't want that to be the reader's experience, so instead I put a working chapter, the very middle chapter, chapter five, is a working chapter where I ask you questions and guide you in planning your own family reunion, whether it's um, with extended family or grandchildren or uh, whoever it's with, small, large, how do you begin? And so that's your working chapter. So up until Chapter 5, you've had some input, some ideas, and then you take a break and you design your own camp. And then the subsequent four chapters are where you can look at other ideas and circle them and then go back and fill in to your chapter what is appropriate for you. So the goal is by the time you get to the end of the book, you have, and it's a brief book, Mm -hmm. um, you have your family reunion planned, at least sketched out. So I really love how practical, how practical the book is. It's not just instructional. It's very practical. And also I love the stories of how you have done it and how others have done it as well. Now, before we talk about um, some ideas for families who are sheltering in place together, for you as a grandparent, how are you connecting with your grandkids? Invariably, when I talk to uh, folks about how they're weathering this current uh, COVID storm, uh, they say the thing they miss the most is connecting with their grandchildren. How are you doing that and what suggestions might you have for other grandparents? Yeah, that is such a good question. 
Well, one thing we try to do is we try to FaceTime the different kids and the different families once a week um, so that we can talk to the grandchildren. And I need to be the first to say I'm not very techy, but I have learned how to FaceTime on the telephone. And one of the things that is important is that you have specific questions that you can ask your grandchildren that call for more than a one-word answer. Um, how are you doing? Well, fine, or I'm bored. That That's just very general. <laughs> so it's better to say, so to your uh, second grader, what's something fun that you have done this week? Tell me one thing that's been fun, or tell me one thing that's been hard, or tell me one what's something new that you've done that you wouldn't be able to do if you weren't at home. Or if they're still doing school online, what has been something that has been nice about school this week? What's been something that's been hard? So that you're getting a little beyond the okay, fine, whatever kind of comments. Yeah, yeah. And I, I encourage parent, grandparents of teenagers to keep it brief. Uh, teenagers are much more interested in Zooming with their friends than talking to a grandparent. And so don't feel badly if you don't get a lot out of your teenagers. That's normal. That's just the season in life. And one day it will come back to you. They'll, they'll want to talk to you. So little kids are, um, are easier in some ways. I think the moms right now that are having the hardest time are the ones with toddlers and the ones yes. with teenagers. Uh, the ones in the middle, kind of the middle years, are not quite so hard. They're, they don't have as many demands. They haven't hit those hormonal swings of the teenagers. Perhaps, you know, their graduation hasn't been canceled. So it's important to just recognize that different people are having different experiences right now. I I have a, a good friend who who's a grandmother, and she has a first grader and a third grader, live in a different city. She's not able to see them. But what she has done, and she did this with the mom's recommendation, her daughter-in-law said, you know what would be really helpful is if you would read to the girls for a half hour, once or twice a week. So she hmm. gets the girls on the phone and she shows them the book and she reads one of their all-time favorite books. And what that does is it gives her daughter-in-law a break. <laughs> she can go and hide for 30 minutes while the grandkids are on the phone with grandma. So there are different things you can do. I have a, a, a grandfather who is has asked his grandchildren to send, make up some stories and send them to him or tell some stories, and he's going to put together a little newsletter, a, a pretend newspaper that he will put on his computer and print out and send to the grandchildren. Now, they can, <laughs> if they don't write, they can dictate something funny, and he can come up with specific questions. So he's creating a family newsletter. So that's oh, just what? another idea. <laughs> Great, great suggestions. Again, we're talking this afternoon with Susan Alexander Yates. Her book is Cousin Camp, A Grandparent's Guide to Creating Fun, Faith, and Memories That Last. But the book is much, much more. And as she's just mentioned, uh, there are all kinds of su suggestions, practical helps for uh, families in different situations as well. When we come back, we're going to talk about some ideas for moms of small children and perhaps moms of teenagers who are sheltering in place, moms and dads, I should say, uh, with uh, maybe a little strain. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're talking with Susan Alexander Yates. She is the author of Cousin Camp, a grandparent's guide to creating fun, faith, and memories that last. That also includes ideas for all types of family reunions and get-togethers. Uh, before the break, we were talking about um, the challenge of, of parents in dealing with very small children and perhaps even teenagers. Uh, and as I mentioned, your book is not just for grandparents. You have all kinds of practical uh, information ideas uh, for families in different situations as well. What are some things that you would suggest for the mom and dad, perhaps with smaller children during this uh, this yeah. season? Oh, that's a great question. And you know, I think one of the things to keep in mind, Georgina, is we think we have to do big things, but mm-hmm. really, particularly with the little kids, it's the simple things. I had um, one a woman ask me on my blog, what can I do with my young children? And I said, go collect rocks and come back and paint the rocks. And she sent me a photo of her four-year-old who had painted a whole bunch of rocks and it had taken up like two hours collecting <laughs> rocks and painting rocks. Another thing that folks are doing is um, chalk. Get some chalk and decorate, write messages on sidewalks and driveways. That's a fun thing to do with little children. You can even do that in the neighborhood. Our daughter who lives in Tennessee did this with the neighborhood, and they were careful that the kids' social distance were six feet apart, but they provided the chalk, and the children in the neighborhood had a blast decorating the sidewalks and leaving really sweet messages. Um, another thing you can do with small children is give each child uh, a bag, like a, a lunch bag. Most mm-hmm. of them, I think, use um, lunch boxes, but you, some kind of bag and go out with the challenge. Let's see what we can collect that God has made. And it only has to be different things that God has made. In other words, not a soda can that's thrown around on the side of the street, but just things that God have made, who has made. And then you come back and you dump your pile on the floor and you have a show and tell. What is my favorite thing and why? Uh, one other idea that really crosses ages, but you can do this with little kids and then middle, middle-aged kids and, and teenagers as well, is one of the things that I have done before camp every year is I go to a house under construction and I ask the builders if he, they will throw into a pile different scraps of carpentry that they're not using. And then I go back with huge, black, thick garbage bags and I collect their scraps and get a bunch of nails with heads. They need to be kind of the fat nails with heads, and several hammers. And we have creative woodworking. And, you know, the construction workers are working now, so they're out there. Houses are being built. It's easy to go and collect scraps and get yourself some several hammers and some nails and see what you can create. And it's amazing what the kids can come up with. And then you can also throw some painting into that if you want to paint their projects or some Sharpie pens where they can just draw on them. So those would just be three ideas right off the bat. For something oh, those are great. Little- you kind of make me want to go outside and <laughs> gather up some things <laughs> myself. <laughs> there are no kids in the home. I just want to do that. Now, what about yeah. the more challenging other end of the continuum? And those are teenagers who are easily bored, and because they've been exposed to so much with technology, it's it's hard to capture their imagination and their attention. It is hard. Well, uh, one of my daughters actually has teenagers, and they were housebound, and the kids really, just four boys, they really needed to work out. So they created an, in outdoors in an outdoor area under their house 
a weight room, and they basically didn't have any weights, so they filled empty milk cartons with dirt, and those became weights. And then they put some exercise videos on the video on the um, computer, and they had their own weight classes and <laughs> had a little challenge for themselves and each other. So you can design a new workout regime. Uh, another thing you can do with teenagers is have everybody pick a new, and you can do this with middle the middle years too. So I'd say the middle years and the teen years. Have everybody choose a new life skill that they're going to learn. One. One daughter might decide she's going to learn sign language. Another, Spanish. Uh, a son might decide he's going to learn woodworking. So have assigned each child to come up with their own new life skill that they want to learn. And then they can share it with the family. Another thing you can do is you can have each teenager create an imaginary business. If ever you wanted to go into business, what would you choose as your business? Think, you know, way outside the box, then do research on the Internet for how you would start that particular business. Learn how to make a business plan. Learn how to build people. Design some little business cards. That's a fun thing to do, and it gets your kids being creative and not just glued into screens. So they each have to come up with a new business. And, you know, I've seen this take off. We have a kid in our neighborhood who designed designed a, a lawn mowing business. And uh, now he's even got calling cards, and he's going around the neighborhood, and he's mowing people's lawns. Oh, that's and he's incredible. <laughs> I can see why your your uh, cousin camp is a success because you've got these great ideas that uh, that capture the imagination of young people. And I think we lament the fact that kids have so many options that don't require them to to be outside. And yet, with a little suggestion, as you just demonstrated, there are all kinds of things that they can do. I mean, when I was a kid, there were no screens. There was a television, but there wasn't anything on it for kids. But to, to um, stimulate their imagination and get their hands and their minds working, uh, great, great suggestions. And, you know, another thing you can do with your children, particularly your teenagers, is have each one of your children adopt a child from a, a family that you know to become their buddy for two weeks and do this in conjunction with another set of parents. Say, hey, my kids are a little bit bigger than yours. We want to adopt your children for a week, or it may, you may do this interchangeably between several families. And then have the bigger kids um, call them, make treats for them, send them notes, pray for them. It's a way that we can reach out to our neighbors, and also it's a way that we can teach our own children to become other-centered. Mm-hmm. You know, they're disappointed, things are not happening, and it's real easy to, to that's, it's so easy for all of us for that to bring up our self-centered self-pity. So what we need to do is to think of how we can care for others. And, oh, that's you wonderful. know, you can also do that in terms of just baking cookies, baking cards, delivering them to the hospital to, you know, pull up and run it into the people who are working at the desk in the hospital or to the fire station, deliver something to the fire station. That's a treat. Yeah. Uh, to all, so there are very creative ways that you can reach out to other people. And this is good for, your, for them. It encourages them. But it's also good for your own kids to learn how to do this. Absolutely. Now, the subtitle of your book is A Grandparent's Guide to Creating Fun, Faith, and Memories That Last. And in the final couple of minutes that we have left, let's talk about faith, how families can, in this circumstance, help to instill uh, faith in their children who are um, in a very unique situation and maybe a little bit more open 
uh, to a teachable moment? Well, I think one of the things is to pick a Bible character. You know, the Bible is the easiest to take in when you take a character. So take Jonah, for example, and do a little study on the book of Jonah and what was hard in his life and what was frustrating for him and how did God work in his life and did God give up on him and did he understand what God was doing. Ask real life questions and what can we learn from Jonah and it's really great to um, do this as a family because when we're doing this in terms of a family, we can bounce ideas off of each other. So in my book, Cousin Camp, I actually have in detail three different Bible studies you can use that we have used at our camp. So it's all outlined right there for you if you can grab a copy of the book. So that's one thing. Uh, Something you can do as well that we have done at Cousin Camp is each child at Cousin Camp has a journal, and they write down how they came to know Jesus in their journals. And sometimes they come to know Jesus at camp, and then they write their story with the help, if they're not writers yet, with the help of one of their older cousins. So during this time, I really encourage your children, whatever age they are, to keep a journal. You can have them write out their testimonies if they never have before. You can have the older kids write an essay. I I think this would be so great. What if you and I, Georgine, had a hand, a first-hand account from a great-grandparent who lived through the plague of 1918 Mm. and told what it was like, what was hard, what, what it was like? And, of course, we would have it in original handwriting then. And what if we had a picture that was 100 years old? So I encourage teenagers today, or college kids even, to write an essay describing the plague of 2020. One day, write it as a letter to your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren. One day, that'll be a really valuable, precious thing to have handed down. Oh, what a great idea. Well, once again, we're talking about Cousin Camp, A Grandparent's Guide to Creating Fun, Faith, and Memories That Last. And I would add to that title and so much more. The book is published by Revell. You can order it online, have it delivered to your home in a matter of sometimes hours, a day or so. Uh, But this is a great resource to help us all get through this pandemic in a way that as we look back, we will cherish the things that we learned about one another, the time we spent together, the creativity that was fostered that may change the course uh, of a family for years to come. Susan Alexander Yates, thank you so much. I so appreciate your, uh, uh, your creativity and your being with us here today. Thank you, Georgine. And I just want to encourage the listeners. I have a, a, free download coming out on Camp at Home that actually has 100 ideas in it that you can use for every age child. And if you sign up for my blog, if you just go to SusanAlexanderYates.com and sign up to receive my blog, you will get this. It should be available within 10 days, and you'll get this in your email. Oh, excellent. Susan Alexander Yates. Thank you, and have a wonderful time sheltering in place. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show where we will wrap things up. Wanted to mention that Oregon is now reporting one new death, 69 new cases of COVID-19. Oregon's health officials uh, today reported uh, that we've lost one additional Oregonian, 69 new cases of COVID-19 in the state have been reported. The death toll in Oregon is now at 104 people. 
the Oregon Health Authority, hasn't yet released information about that individual who died. But Oregon's 69 new known cases bring the statewide total to 2,579. The amount of active infections is unclear. A total of 58,176 people have been tested in the state of Oregon. And among them, 95 percent have come back negative. Uh, That's really, really good news. We're grateful for that. Uh, But again, we are still in a position where, for the sake of others, we are attempting to socially distance and protect not just ourselves, but others. And when I'm inconvenienced or frustrated or growing impatient, I'm reminded that this isn't for my sake alone, but I'm uh, exercising uh, appropriate conduct in order to protect my neighbor. If I were to contract, and who knows if I have or haven't already, and I'm asymptomatic, if I were to contract COVID-19, I might fare just fine, but I have my mother and my husband to consider. I have other neighbors with whom I may come in contact. I, uh, so I, I'm trying to be uh, considerate of others, even if I feel like uh, these restrictions, these strictures are, are difficult and challenging to live by. Also, I wanted to remind you that the governor announced Oregon's COVID-19 testing contact tracing plans that are an important element of reopening the state of Oregon. So you can check that out online. She went into a bit more uh, detail. I think Americans in general, maybe not Oregonians so much as others across the country, might find this notion of contact tracing uh, somewhat challenging. And the concern is uh, once this pandemic has come to an end, are we going to end contact tracing? So I've heard already uh, concerns about that. But for the time being, the notion is that, uh, for example, you go to a restaurant and you would provide information to the restaurateur so that if we find out sometime later that the cook contracted COVID-19 or someone seated at a table nearby contracted COVID-19, they would be able to contact you and connect the dots, the the people with whom that individual might have come in contact. So that is um, the, the idea behind it. Also, increasing the number of tests and uh, with uh, to whom those tests will be made available is an important part of all of that. Anyway, the pres- the uh, governor rather held a press conference earlier today at about 1030 this morning to make uh, announcements and to give more detail about what um, is expected to precede opening Oregon further and in some areas where that opening may occur sooner rather than later. So you can check that out online. Well, here we are weeks into uh, this quarantine and For many of us, it's gone by with uh, more challenges than others. There's a great deal of fear in our community. People are anxious about what tomorrow might hold. And even uh, when uh, the economy begins to open, how long will it take for people to get back up on their feet? So there's a lot of uh, uncertainty uh, and fear, maybe among those who don't know Christ more than others. Uh, But I was reminded in an email I received earlier today of a portion of scripture that puts things into perspective, and I wanted to to share that with you as we prepare to close the program. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, it is at the right hand of, the, of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword or a pandemic? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We are certainly in difficult and challenging times, but God is with us. God is in us, and he is for us in the midst of these very uncertain and difficult days. I hope you are praying for your neighbors. You're reaching out to those who might be especially lonely that you take uh, full advantage of the opportunity to go to church this weekend. Uh, as you know, that most of the churches in our community, or at least many of them, are making their services available online. And KPDQ has a, um, a page on kpdq.com that can help you connect if you don't have a church uh, that you can connect with. Community events at kpdq.com. And then on our sister station, AM 800, you can listen to Southwest Bible Live at 10 o'clock. And that's at truetalk800.com, or you can listen on uh, our 800 on the AM dial. In any event, I hope you have a great, fruitful, joyful weekend, and will join us back here on Monday. I want to thank James Blinn for producing, Clark Hilton for engineering, Dan Rice for the use of his office, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.